0: Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to a special bonus episode of Blonde Hair Blackheart. As promised last week, I am back to recap the first four episodes of The Real Housewives of Miami, plus last week's episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, and the latest episode of The Real Housewives of Potomac. Hopefully, by next week, we will be back on track, but I gotta give the people what they want, so let's get into it, shall we? The Miami ladies are back and hotter than ever it's immediately revealed that Alexia and Gertie dissolved their working relationship. And we find out that Alexia did not fill out Gertie's event questionnaire when she was helping throw her wedding. You know, if you want Gertie to do her job, then you have to do yours, Alexia, which is filling out the questionnaire. You know, Matt and I had to do this for our wedding. We had to put a list of all of the traditions we wanted to feature and, you know, the ones we didn't. Um, Obviously, we didn't do like the garter belt situation. Uh, You know, songs that we wanted and ones that we didn't, which was anything by Britney Spears and nothing by Taylor Swift, but basically we had to let the vendors know what we liked and what we didn't like. Alexia also reveals that when they finally picked a new venue and a new wedding date, Gertie's team emailed her saying that they were unavailable. Alexia, in confessional, reads the email she received in this tone as if it was like the snarkiest email ever, when in reality it was very professional and like a a formal email. Um, I don't know, some people are so touchy. Gertie goes to visit Larsa. And her ass. Like, I'm pretty sure that that ass needs its own housewife's tagline, honestly. So Gertie gets a tour of Larsa's stunning condo in this beautiful building, and no one better forget how gorgeous and amazing it is. Lisa, are you listening? They go out onto her balcony, and they are 50 stories up. Like, I'm terrified just watching this. My anxiety is through the roof. Like legitimately, can this balcony withstand the weight of Larsa's ass? I'm serious. Gertie tells Larsa about the tensions between her and Alexia because of the wedding, and she tells her that Alexia was comparing her bachelorette party that Marisol threw to Gertie's fundraiser event, saying the bachelorette was way more fun and basically shading Gertie's business and the fundraiser, which was for Gertie's dead brother. Kind of a low blow, Alexia. Meanwhile, Larsa's dealing with tensions with Adriana and Julia. In fact, the tensions got so high that Larsa had to unfollow Julia. But according to Larsa, unfollowing is really no big deal. She apparently has 5,000 first cousins who she doesn't follow. There's a lot to unpack here. Mostly, 5,000 first cousins? Jesus. Later, Lisa meets up with Marisol and Kiki to discuss Larsa's upcoming New Beginnings party. Lisa explains that, surprise surprise, there are some tensions between she and Larsa. I'm getting the feeling that this group is... Lisa tells the girls that she made a quote-unquote joke about how Larsa lives in a building full of drug dealers and hookers and pimps and OnlyFans models. It was just a funny joke. Hookers and pimps are always funny, guys. And Marisol and Kiki agree, telling her that it was no big deal and they doubt Larsa will care. Sure, Jan. Dr. Nicole is really only here thus far to show off her cars and her huge house and how hot she is, and I don't hate it, honestly. Like, I'm not even a car guy, but a beautiful blonde in an Aston Martin is definitely my vibe or at least what I like to imagine my vibe is. Nicole and Anthony are planning their engagement party, which has a budget of $100,000, which is exactly five times as much as my actual wedding cost. I will say though, I'm happy to finally feel poor again watching the Housewives. Like for too long I would see Gina Casita or Giselle and feel really rich, and you know I feel like that's the exact opposite of what is intended with these shows. Like no offense Gina, I just want to see real money, you know? Like money money, not your tips from last night's shift at Chili's. Julia and Adriana are getting ready for Larsa's party, and Julia has half a dozen cucumbers stuck to her face. You know, for someone who doesn't want to be called weird, she's pretty weird. Larsa explains that she didn't invite Julia or Adriana to her New Beginnings pre-party. Adriana doesn't get an invite because she's a wild card, and Julia doesn't get an invite because she's, according to Larsa and the cucumbers on her face, a fucking weirdo. Larsa says she doesn't want to seem petty, despite the fact that she is being petty. Kiki arrives at the pre-party, because she was invited, and she immediately tells Larsa about the joke Lisa made about her apartment building, even though Kiki was telling Lisa how funny it was when they met earlier. Kiki's putting in the work, I see. Gertie and Alexia both arrive, and guess what, there's tension, but they'll address it another time. Marisol arrives, and for the first time ever, I like her outfit. But she comes in guns a blazing. I need a cocktail. I need a cocky. Look, no judgment. We all like to have fun. But if you start clocking how many times Marisol mentions needing a drink or a cocky in her words, just in these first few episodes, honestly, like it's a bit of a red flag, methinks. Marisol might be in her Erica Jane element this season. Finally, Lisa arrives. She was late because she didn't know how to get to the hood. <laughs> Larsa immediately brings that up and makes things. Tense. Seriously, though, the tension in this group is thicker than the humid Florida air. It's hot, gross, and sticky. Lisa asks why Larsa needed to bring up the Hood condo comments, and Larsa throws back at Lisa that she rents her house out to help pay her mortgage. This triggers Lisa, who snaps back that not only does she not rent her house out, but that she doesn't even have a mortgage, and how dare Larsa imply that? But, like, What's wrong with having a mortgage? And what's wrong with renting your house out for events? People, like rich people, with beautiful estates, do that all the time. They rent them out for parties, for filmings, for photo shoots. If anything, Lisa should own it and be like, yeah, we have a beautiful backyard and people beg us to have events here. Who's begging to come to the hood, Larsa? The two continue to squabble back and forth, with Kiki chiming in every once in a while to defend Larsa's side. This sets Lisa on a hamster wheel that she runs on all night long, bitching about how Kiki threw her under the bus. Lisa and Larsa finally sit down to clear the air, or make things way worse, we'll see, and Larsa goes in. She basically says that Lisa earns her keep on her back, she hasn't earned a thing in her life, and Larsa's hood condo was paid for by herself with no one's help. So okay, we're all thinking the same thing, right? Like. Alimony? Like Scotty Pippin paid for your condo in the sky? Not your feet pics. Your feet pics may have bought you some of your furniture, sure, but let's be real. Larsa Pippin claiming to be self-made is a joke. It's laughable. So, while I understand why Larsa is pissed that someone was making fun of her condo, I don't subscribe to her mentality that just because she's hurt, she can say whatever she wants and throw these low blows out, and that makes it even. You know, just because someone does something to hurt you, that isn't an open invitation to throw jabs back unless you are prepared to go to war. You know, you can't say these really mean things and then immediately say afterwards, I was just joking too, we have to move on, move on! Like, it wasn't a joke, you're not a comedian, you're a housewife with an axe to grind. Larsa has definitely struck a nerve, though, because Lisa, still on her hamster wheel, will not stop talking about the mortgage that she doesn't have. As Alexia says, what's wrong with having a mortgage? Alexia also points out, very shrewdly, that Lisa probably doesn't even know that they have a mortgage. You know, she's one of those head-in-the-sand kind of wives. So she also is in her Erica Jane element this year. Moving along to another scene full of tension, Lisa and Lenny have dinner, and Lisa feels that no one's listening to her because Lenny is on his phone trying to fix the wine cellar. But really it's probably because it's hard to hear anything with so much thick-ass tension in the air. What'd you say over there? Couldn't hear you over all the tension! Three weeks after this scene was filmed, Lenny files for divorce. Five weeks later, Lenny is trying to forcibly remove Lisa from his house, and his life. Maybe Lisa should have just let the man text the wine cellar guy, jeez. Episode 2 begins and Alexia is checking out the yacht for her non-wedding. It's just a big party, which is funny to me because, like, honestly, if it were me and I had all of these things go down that kind of forced me into an elopement, um, I'd be like, fuck it, let's just save all the money, you know? But I guess I don't have Alexia Chavaria money, so... We get to take a trip to Julia's farm and meet her 300 animals. She's certainly filling a hole that Lisa Vanderpump left behind in the Bravo-verse, what with all the dogs and horses and geese and stuff, but like, let's be real, this farm is not Villa Rosa. She does have organic eggs for everyone though. Lisa, Gertie, and Alexia go out to lunch and, okay, so literally every time they go out to eat on the Housewives I get so jealous because they order the best shit and, you know, production's paying. So like. Miso-roasted cauliflower? Yum. Ugh, I'll take two please. At the same time, Larsa and Kiki are out to lunch, but they don't show us their order, so I'm not as interested. (laughs) Lisa is still pissed at Larsa, and she's not gotten off that hamster wheel apparently. She's telling Alexia and Gertie how upset she is and how she feels like she made a very minor, innocuous comment, whereas Larsa went really low on purpose. And I can't say I disagree, to be honest. Gertie and Alexia are able to clear the air and discuss Alexia comparing the Bachelorette party with Gertie's charity event. Alexia says she felt like Gertie was full of herself because she was featured in Vogue. But honestly, Gertie should be full of herself because she was featured in Vogue. It's Vogue. We then get a nice little catch up from Nicole on her relationship with her dad. How's it going? Not well, bitch. (laughs) Nicole obviously has a lot of built up hostility and resentment towards her dad, which makes it a really low blow when her mom tells her that she's just like him. Ouch. But Nicole takes the criticism, breaking down to her mom crying, I am the problem. But here's the thing, I feel like if you're able to recognize and acknowledge that you are a problem, you're probably not the problem. You know, it's the ones who refuse to see it that are the real problem. It's funny, I actually saw a few accounts recounting this scene online and just saying how awful Nicole was to her mom and how she is just like her deadbeat dad and how she didn't even say sorry but like, she literally started crying and acknowledged that she was a problem. I don't know, I I think these little snippets are meant for us to get a glimpse into their personal lives, but I don't think this one five-minute scene should inform us on Nicole and her mom's entire relationship. Like, I'm sure her mom would be horrified if she knew that a scene that she filmed has made people say nasty things about her daughter, you know? Gertie has a sexy little photo shoot, and she recruits Larsa to help her learn how to pose. I guess they wanted feet pics? Alexia finally has her non-wedding wedding, and it looks beautiful. There are flowers, a tiered cake, she's in a white dress, but it's not a wedding, guys. Alexia receives a beautiful bouquet and a card from Gertie, to which Alexia literally shrugs. She's, okay, she's kind of being a huge bitch, like... I really don't understand Alexia's beef with Gertie, I like Alexia, I do, but when it comes to this party planning feud, I don't know, I'm firmly Team Gertie. Like she was named the top party planner by fucking Vogue magazine. You fill out whatever damn questionnaire she wants, you take the flowers, plus I would rather shake my ass in an old church than on a boat where I would have motion sickness. Facts. All of the ladies arrive to the non-wedding wedding, and I must say, the Miami women know how to clean up. They all look fuego. Lisa and Larsa sit down to hash things out, and Larsa says I don't want to have to be the one to talk shit about you. As if someone's gotta do it and she was just roped into the job. (laughs) These two are going tit for tat, but only Lisa seems to be really affected. Larsa seems to just be slinging dirt, which is fine, like I give her credit for not really taking Lisa's comments personally, but she keeps saying let's move on and is acting way too chill to be throwing shade back at Lisa. Like if you don't think it's that deep, shouldn't you be able to control yourself from being a total bitch? But with that said, all of this is over whether or not Lisa has a mortgage, which is like the dumbest fight ever, so frankly, I don't really care. <laughs> and you know who else doesn't care? Lenny. Lisa calls him, freaking out over Mortgage Gate and saying that Larsa needs to walk the plank, and he's like, bitch, lose my number. He was probably with his girlfriend at the time, to be honest. Ugh, tragic. Nicole understands why Lisa's upset that Larsa's throwing digs and talking about her finances, but she says that Lisa needs to remember that they're at a wedding and she needs to calm down. Um, maybe Nicole needs to remember that this isn't a wedding. Also, the more Lisa goes on and on about this mortgage thing, the more we all know that she does have a mortgage and, I dunno, she's probably late on some payments or something because this reaction is too much. Gertie senses it too, and she thinks that Lisa's response has more to do with her personal life than Lars's comments. And methinks Gertie is onto something. Episode 3 starts and we're still at Alexia's non-wedding wedding, and Lisa is still upset about everything. She and Larsa start to get into it again, but this time Marisol stops it, saying that she would be a huge asshole if she let them fight at Alexia's wedding. Again, it's technically not a wedding, but whatever. Okay, moving on from the non-wedding wedding, did you guys see the garage that Alexia and Todd have? It's a garage in the sky. Like legitimately they live in a penthouse apartment with a garage. I can't, these people are so fucking rich. Julia goes and meets with some reps to restart her modeling career, and Alexia and Marisol meet to discuss Peter getting arrested after his ex-girlfriend, well I guess current girlfriend, called the police on him. Yikes. Larsa takes her dogs to see the dog trainer and she's talking about how they're just so crazy after being stuck in her tiny little apartment, which is like 4,000 square feet and definitely not where the pimps and hoes live. The whole gang gathers on the beach, and Adrienne is telling them about her current dating sagas, and Alexia implies that her current beau might be married. Honestly, I feel like in just three episodes, so many major accusations have been thrown out. Miami's wild! Like, remind me to never move there. I mean, I wasn't going to, it's Florida, but... you know. Lisa and her maybe mortgage come up, again, and Alexia and Nicole are wondering if maybe Lisa doesn't know that she has a mortgage. Maybe Lenny's keeping her in the dark. She certainly wouldn't be the first housewife to be completely clueless. Later, Lisa and Lenny are having dinner, and honestly, I must say, Lenny's a good actor, because when he's around Lisa he's able to put on a pretty happy front. The two of them are talking about their dog losing his mobility, and this honestly is so much sadder to me than their marriage falling apart. Then as if Lisa didn't have enough on her plate with a dog who can't walk, her nanny breaks her arm. Lisa's frantically grabbing her phone to call 911, but as Lenny explains, you don't call an ambulance for this. That's not only irresponsible, the ambulances have more urgent injuries to tend to, but it's also really expensive. Like, I know that that's not Lenny and Lisa's concern, I've seen their house, but it's definitely my concern. And we're finally at episode four. Oh my god, I'm exhausted. I feel like I need a cocky. Larsa hosts her puppy party, giving big Raquel Levis slash Blake Adam energy. Adriana gives us a little lesson in doggy DNA, notably that every facet of their personality is stored in their butthole, which is why dogs sniff each other there. It makes sense, right? But do dogs have watertight assholes? Honestly, though, this party looks so fun. I want my next birthday party to have an all-dog guest list. No humans allowed. Maybe a goat or two. Later, Lisa and Lenny are throwing their own party with less dogs and definitely less goats. Lisa's explaining how the two of them have very different party planning styles. She loves familiar faces, friends, family. He loves new people, sexy people, models. These are Lisa's exact words. You can't see me right now, but my face is saying, awkward. Nicole arrives to the party on her own boat to Lisa's private dock. Like. I used to think it was so cool when my friends lived in the same neighborhood as me and I could, like, walk over to their house. Imagine hopping in your boat and cruising over to your besties' mansion. Like, I don't even like boats or water, but this is goals, guys. Adriana tells the girls that her current beau, you know, the one that Alexia says is married, isn't at the party because it's his mom's funeral. Alexia reveals that it was actually Marisol who revealed the news, which is not surprising to anyone because Marisol is disordenada. That's Spanish for messy. Lars is talking about her dating life, and how she really hasn't been dating much, which doesn't surprise me. You know, she seems like a lot, so honestly, I don't see men lining up to spend time with her. But then someone suggests she should be with a model, and she's like, oh yeah, maybe I should be with a good-looking guy, as if she's never been with a good-looking guy, which is such an insult to Scottie Pippen, but also not a lie. Lisa tells the women about how she had to put her dog down, and it's really sad seeing Lenny break down over this. Now, before you all come for me, I obviously hate Lenny, but, you know, seeing a quote-unquote strong man break down over this is a really sobering feeling, you know, and it reminds me of when my dad had to put our childhood dog down. Um, I I know that he cried like a baby, so in this moment, this one little moment, guys, I feel for Lenny. But then, almost immediately, he reminds us that he's a real piece of shit when the sound guys pick up some audio of him completely trashing his wife and marriage. Obviously, this footage was shocking. It's not just the fact that he was venting about his wife or talking candidly to a friend, that's one thing, and it's still shitty, but to me what was really notable about this was how he was clearly plotting his escape. You know, he was telling his friend that he basically already had the plans and the works to leave and to blindside Lisa with this. That is what really bothers me. If you don't love her, fine, if you want to leave her, fine, but to not have a conversation with her and go about the process of separating together, like to be moving around in the shadows and making plans so she has no heads up, it's fucked up. Lenny Hochstein, fuck you! And that concludes our recap of the first four episodes of The Real Housewives of Miami Season 5. And I think it's probably a great note to set us up for the rest of the season, like I have a feeling we're going to be saying fuck you to Lenny Hochstein week after week. Move aside Diana Jenkins, we need a new villain. It's the holiday season, which means that we're all a little more likely to be indulging in some chocolatey goodies, but when you really look at what some of our favorite generic candy is made of, it'll make you feel like you belong on the naughty list. Don't limit yourself to your kid's advent calendar leftovers. This holiday season, treat yourself to some grown-up candy. Vosges Haute Chocolate was founded in 1998 when CEO and founder Katrina Markoff pioneered the concept of exotic chocolate by fusing spices, herbs, nuts, and flavors from around the world with premium chocolate. Explore a wide variety of assorted chocolates made with vibrant cacao and superiorly sourced ingredients. Vosges Artisan Chocolate is meant to balance the body, mind, and spirit when eaten mindfully. Indulge in gourmet chocolate with exotic chocolate flavor profiles, such as Dulce de Leche Bonbons, Manchego and Cherry Dark Chocolate Bars, and ginger turmeric Milk Chocolate. The perfect gift for the chocolate lover in your life, or yourself, Vosges Haute Chocolates offers premium chocolate gifts and chocolate gift baskets. You guys, these are not your kids' candy bars. Order your premium chocolates online today and taste the difference. Visit Vosgeschocolate.com, that's Vosges, spelled V-O-S-G-E-S, chocolate.com, and use code BLAKE to get 15% off your order. Happy Holidays! On last week's episode of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, the ladies are finishing up their boat trip, and Jen is pissed. She feels like people keep coming at her at her lowest, but honestly, it seems like she keeps going at other people at her lowest. Like if you're so concerned about the blowback, maybe just lay low, Jennifer Shaw. Jen has a major issue with Lisa linking up with Angie. And when Lisa tries to talk to her, Jen goes off. She screams in her face and she pushes her several times. Baby Gorgeous does not deserve that. Jen gets so angry that she throws a plate of crudités off the boat. Classless! What did the baby carrots ever do to you? And then, to make matters worse, Jen starts picking up random shoes and throwing them in the water. This bitch has lost it! Like, I'm pretty sure that that's a crime. Another one to add to her rap sheet. Jen keeps demanding that everyone get real, but as Lisa responds in her confessional, how the hell is Jen real? And even if she is being real, how can anyone keep up? She's all over the damn place! But Heather, per usual, supports Jen and says that Jen is at such a low point and she doesn't understand how people can come for her like this. But what Heather's completely disregarding is how Jen comes for other people. Just because Jen is facing something very horrible, which is her own fault, mind you, it doesn't give her a free pass to be a psychopath. If you're facing such a horrible fate, maybe humble yourself? Be kind? Mend some fences? Meredith is another one who is firmly on team Jen, and it is so confusing to me. Meredith claims to be so morally superior to pretty much everyone on this show, so it's very strange that she's aligning herself with Jen. And like, how is it possible for her to forgive Jen for all of the terrible things she said about her and her kid, but she can't for the life of her get over Lisa's comments? I don't know, it's confusing to me. When the ladies notice their shoes are floating in the ocean, they obviously have some questions, and Jen plays completely dumb. In fact, she actually snaps at Angie for questioning her. The way this woman can lie, Wow. <laughs> and knowing that everything she says or does could be used as character evidence against her, at least in the court of public opinion, this is wild. Like she truly does not care if people hate her, senior citizens included. The ladies get off the boat, some with shoes and some without, and they head back to the house. Jen takes this opportunity to take a quick catnap in the car that lasts three hours. She literally sleeps in the car outside of the house instead of going inside and getting into bed. <laughs> I don't know, gotta get used to the uncomfortable sleeping situations, I suppose. God, I'm awful. I have, I have zero sympathy for this criminal. Heather makes a quick FaceTime call to Angie H., and she talks about how nice it is to have a friend like Angie who you don't have to worry about. No drama, no looking over your shoulder. Now, her husband Chris is another story. You really gotta watch out for that little elf. Heather gossips to Angie H about how Jen and Angie K are fighting now, which is classic Heather, she really plays all sides of it. She was just rallying around Jen, and now she's gossiping and laughing about her to one of Jen's enemies. No loyalty. Okay, but so one thing I did notice in this scene is that you can already start to see the bruising on Heather's eye, and it's all red, so whatever happened to her eye that leads it to being all black and blue, like, it clearly already happened, and wasn't that interesting? So, now I'm very curious about how they're gonna play this on the show curious and… pissed? Like if someone literally didn't punch Heather Gay in the face, I'm gonna be very disappointed. After Jen's nap, the gang gets ready for their luau, which apparently includes strippers. I definitely have to give big props to Dana for keeping the story moving along, cause this luau dinner she just lays it all out there, calling Jen a big old bully. She also throws some negative attention onto Heather, pointing out that Heather seems to be playing both sides when it comes to Jen and how she navigates friendships in this group. As she's been doing all season, Heather trips all over herself, contradicts herself, makes no sense, and basically proves that she's either a liar or has full-on amnesia. Or pretend amnesia, as we refer to it in the Bravoverse. Honestly though, I'm glad Heather's getting it. To quote my favorite six Mary murderesses, she had it comin'. It's great though, for real, watching Heather try and talk her way out of this and seeing Dana just firmly standing on her neck, not letting her get away with any more bullshit. Heather looks like a deer caught in the headlights cause she's not going up against Lil Baby Girl Whitney Rose anymore. Has she finally met her match? Even Jen starts to see how full of shit Heather's been. <laughs> this brings me so much joy. Heather gets so upset and insists that she's been very clear about her feelings with Jen and Angie and all of it, but like, none of this is clear. Angie K gets in the mix, saying that Heather hasn't been a good friend to Jen. And she's not wrong, but, like, honestly, none of them should be good friends to Jen at this point. It's confusing to me that the focus of the combo has switched to who's a better friend to Jen and not just, like, who sucks the most. I feel like that would be a better fight. A more fair one, at least. Lisa isn't a part of the moment, and there are no Kit Kats or Diet Cokes to distract her, so she becomes activated, going in on Jen and how she came for her on the boat, which Jen claims to not remember at all. Did she catch Heather's pretend amnesia? Is that contagious? But Jen finally apologizes to Angie Kay, and only Angie K. Everyone else can suck it as far as Jen's concerned. And well, Jen can go to prison as far as everyone else is concerned. But Angie Kay and Jen are apparently totally fine again after that very brief apology, so I guess when you're friends with Jen, you just take what you can get. And Angie tells Jen that she needs to be honest with the group about how she feels, because you know, Jen is always really subtle about her feelings. Jen explains to Heather that she was really surprised and hurt to see Angie H. at the choir auditions after she had told Heather about Shaw Exposed, and Heather immediately tries to turn it on Whitney, being like, uh, you mean when Whitney brought her? But Whitney isn't about to let that happen, explaining that she had no clue about the Shaw Exposed account, so why wouldn't she have come with Angie? Heather was the one who invited them both. I'm just clarifying Heather backtracks, she's, she's not very good at this, but she might want to try and get better because I have a feeling the rest of the season might be rough for her. At least I kind of hope it will be. Heather asks Jen what she can do to make things right and Jen says point blank, don't be friends with Angie and Chris Harrington. Heather says she can't do that, she, she just can't, I mean the holidays are coming up, she needs an elf on the shelf. One of the best things about growing up in Arizona is that there's incredible Mexican food on every street corner. And you know what goes best with good Mexican food? Traditional Mexican horchata. Don't know what horchata is? It's creamy, delicious rice milk flavored with cinnamon, vanilla, and sugar. Okay, you thirsty now? Me too. Luckily, even if you're far from the southern border, you can get your horchata fix every day with Cinnamon. Cinnamon is a brand created by my good friend Tyler, who is even more obsessed with horchata and all things cinnamon than I am he's developed all natural skincare products and more crafted in california with ethically sourced ingredients and infused with real cinnamon have you heard of the antibacterial antifungal antiviral or antioxidant properties of cinnamon when applied to the skin or how about how it helps treat acne what about how cinnamon promotes blood flow helping with skin elasticity by bringing blood flow to the surface of the skin and helping to moisturize skin with all of that added circulation some of my personal favorite products from Sinmen are their signature lip balm that gives your lips a sweet tingle and a subtle natural plum, their all-natural deodorant developed for sensitive skin, and the coco chata body beverage that leaves your body hydrated and smelling like heaven. They even have candles and air fresheners to keep your entire home, car, or office smelling like your favorite dessert. With Sinmen, you'll enjoy all the benefits cinnamon has to offer your skin and your senses. Visit sinmin.com, that's S-I-N ncom and use code BLAKE at checkout for 15% off your total order today and receive free shipping on all orders over $50. That's code BLAKE for 15% off your order at sinmin.com. I may have a black heart, but I can be sweet sometimes, and Sinmin definitely helps. Okay, let's talk about this week's episode of The Real Housewives of Potomac. The Potomac ladies are back from their trip to Miami. Thank God, because I can't talk about Miami anymore. Robin and Giselle are preparing for their live show, and there's so much to do. So many wristbands to order. Robin's also still trying to figure out her prenup, which seems so pointless because this wedding is never happening. Like, talk about a real non-wedding. Robin tells Giselle about how she and Wendy made up at the club in Miami, but she wasn't really buying it, and how she and Candace got into a screaming match in the car after the club. Now, I appreciate them having this combo on camera, but you know that Robin went home that night and immediately told Jizzy everything. Those two don't even fart without letting the other one know. Candice is so excited to throw her graduation party, and it's cute, we're so proud of our little Candy gal. Get that edumacation, mama. And speaking of mama, in other exciting news, Candy is late! Late late, like she could actually be a mama! Hopefully not one like her mama, though. So, as the Green-Eyed Bandits are prepping for their show, Karen Huger is also planning a live show, but I'm not sure what this show will entail. Is she a performer? Is she gonna do cabaret? Is she feeling Giovanni? I mean, honestly though, I would sooner go to the Grand Dame variety hour than reasonably shady live. Just saying. Robin and Candace get together to hash things out, but mostly to just let it all go. Robin's dealing with the loss of a loved one, and Candace is sympathetic and the two are able to move on pretty easily knowing that there are much bigger things to worry about in the world. Candace explains that she wasn't trying to lump everyone in together, and Robin explains that even though she didn't mean to, that's exactly what she did when she made that IG live. The two both hear each other, and it's actually so refreshing to see mature makeup on the housewives. Those are few and far between, you know? Now, I'm not saying that I don't want yelling and screaming anymore, just… a balance? Mia is celebrating the launch of her new chiropractor's office location. What's that place called again? The Crack? I don't know. Something like that. But good for her. It's, it's interesting though to me, not surprising, but interesting, that the only two other cast members who show up to support her are Jacqueline and Karen. Like I said a few weeks ago, despite Robin and Giselle rallying around Mia when she was fighting with Wendy, they do not like or support this woman. They just hate Wendy. Ashley's struggling with the idea of raising her boys alone, but like, okay, not to be insensitive, but like, what has she been doing thus far? Like, it seems like Michael Darby is pretty absent, so honestly, it wouldn't really change that much, right? You got this, girl, go, go dance it off. Giselle's twins are celebrating their sweet 16, so it's party time. But the party actually seems quite understated. Remember Portia Umansky's bat mitzvah? I, I don't know, this party's cute though, and her girls have much better style than Giselle does, so Giselle should be proud of that. Candace hosts her grad party, slash I ended up getting my period party, womp womp, and Wendy and Robin take this time to sit down and try and hash things out. Once again, Robin shows some maturity, and she and Wendy both apologize, although Robin had to be asked to apologize, but still, she isn't whipping out her cell phone and antagonizing Wendy so it definitely feels like growth to me. This episode really is all about maturity, guys. That's probably because there's hardly any Mia in it. Okay, guys, that's it for today. Thank you so much for joining me for this special bonus episode of Blonde Hair Blackheart. As always, go follow me on social media at BlondehairBlackheart. Hair Blackheart, like or subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and go give me a five-star rating and review. I'll see you guys on Monday. Bye!